Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie. And it's that time of year again in the United States, election season. Amy, I don't know how it is up there in Wisconsin, but down here in South Louisiana, we almost don't have a specific election season anymore. There is some candidate or initiative or tax or something around here that they're calling us out to vote on every other month, it seems like. Voting is practically a part-time job around here. (laughs) Oh, same. And it's getting pretty rancid up here in Wisconsin. We have a Senate race that's getting national attention. And those ads, oy, you can't even watch YouTube videos anymore. You know, you can avoid the news, but trying to watch a YouTube video where they're they're breaking into your your program every five minutes, it's, (laughs) it's crazy. Yeah, I can imagine. <laughs> but you, we, I know it. And, and they're not very kind either. But, mm. uh, you know, we are so blessed, though, to live in America where, you know, we citizens get to have a say in our government, at least for now. We are not under a dictatorship yet where uh, we're basically prisoners in our own country, subject to every crazy uh, or evil whim of our rulers. Uh, we should always be thankful for that and never take it for granted. You know, that's right. And And just for the record, being thankful for being an American and for the freedoms that we have, that isn't quote unquote Christian nationalism, as some might have you believe. Thanking God for those blessings and recognizing that he's the blesser, that's not Christian nationalism. That's just Christian. You know, thankful is just what we do. But that's a whole nother episode. Tonight, we're talking about a different subject, (laughs) one I had really never heard brought up until the last couple of years. It's all about women and voting. Yeah, that's right, Michelle. In the United States, women have only had the constitutionally protected right to vote for 102 years now. And according to the Ballotpedia website, quote, from 1848 to 1920, suffragists advocated for state and federal constitutional amendments that would give women the right to vote in the United States. The beginning of the U.S. suffrage movement is dated as 1848, according to the National Women's History Museum. At the 1848 Seneca Falls Convention, which was the first women's rights convention in the United States, organizers declared that men and women are created equal and therefore have the same civic rights and privileges, including the inalienable right to the elective franchise. The 19th Amendment was ratified 72 years later in 1920, prohibiting the denial of the right to vote on account of sex. Amy, when I think that it was 1920 when the 19th Amendment was passed, it always makes me think of my mima, my great grandmother. Mm. She was born in 1899. So she grew up in a time in which women were not allowed to vote, not until she was 21 years old. So it makes me think what a different time that was and how her experience growing up in America was so different from mine. But I think it was also similar in in a way. You mentioned the Seneca Falls Convention, the first women's rights convention in the United States. And there were also all sorts of other first wave feminism activities going on at that time. There were suffrage protests and marches and sit-ins and hunger strikes, just like some of the things we see feminists doing today. Yeah, there's definitely no denying that the 19th Amendment was born out of feminism. And now that many theologically conservative Christians and social conservatives recognize this, some are wondering if we should go back to a head of household voting system. 
Now, you might be thinking to yourself, huh, that's an interesting take. And uh, others might be wondering, are you ladies off your rockers? Well, no, <laughs> listeners, we're just sharing an interesting take that some Christian conservatives have. Now, I never heard of it until earlier this year when I watched an interview on YouTube with Allie Beth Stuckey. Uh, if you haven't heard of her, ladies, she is a conservative podcaster for The Blaze TV. And uh, she was interviewing two female Christian bloggers who both said that they believe in a one household vote. I believe one was married and one was not. And I thought, huh, that's an interesting take. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, but before that, uh, pro-life advocate Abby Johnson, you know who uh, she might be, uh, she made headlines in 2020 when in a Twitter thread about various controversial beliefs, she simply stated, I would support bringing back household voting. And then she put a little smiley face there and she said, how anti-feminist of me. Well, we certainly enjoy everyone who's anti-feminist, <laughs> but, yeah. you know, of course, uh, and I don't know what the background of, of the people that you were watching on Allie's show were, but uh, Abby is Roman Catholic. So she comes from a religious system that places mm -hmm. heavy emphasis on the family and divorce is rarely permitted, which is very similar to biblical Christianity. So when Abby hears, you know, head of household, she's thinking the husband and father of a traditional nuclear family. And that's pretty much the same mindset that right. we as Christians have when we hear that phrase head of household. Yeah, and in America between 1776 and 1848, before women's suffrage started, and when head of household voting was the law of the land, that was true of the vast majority of American households. They were traditional nuclear families with the husband and the father as head. But that's not the case today. We know that, right? Today, single, divorced, and widowed women make up a large percentage of heads of households. Listeners, you probably have a few perfectly godly women friends at your church who, for one reason or another, fall into that category. I know I do. Or maybe you do yourself. I mean, I don't fall into that category, but I know many Christian women who do. And in 2021, uh, the U.S. Census Bureau released a data showing that fewer more than 18% of U.S. households consisted of a traditional nuclear family, a mother and a father married to each other and their children. So when we hear the phrase, go back to head of household voting, that's a bit of a problem. We can't go back to head of household voting the way it was in the 18th and 19th centuries, because those kinds of households hardly even exist anymore. Yeah, and I think we also forget that for most most of the time that head of household voting was the law of the land, it wasn't just that every man who was head of his household could vote. For most of that time, those men also had to be white, had to own property, yeah. and in many cases had to belong to a particular church or denomination. So that's definitely not something we would want to go back to, nor that we ever could go back to. We just no longer live in a culture in which those things could, would, or should happen. Amy, this discussion of, of going back to household voting reminds me very much of the discussion that used to come up every few years or so about reinstating prayer in public schools. I mean, it sounds great yeah. until you think about it for three seconds. I mean, if you really think that the pagan school system that we currently have that encourages children toward every form of sexual deviancy, immorality, rebellion, yeah. and godlessness, if you think that school system is going to reinstate Christian prayer and only Christian prayer, well, 
I've got a bridge to sell you if you're interested, <laughs> you know, and it's the same way with any sort of return to male only head of household voting. No matter how much we may like the idealized version of it, the reality is it's not going to happen. We just no longer live in a culture in which it would work. And as Christians, we have to deal with what is not the way we wish things could be. That's true. Uh, and you know, Michelle, it's almost like having a discussion about what kind of a cage to put a unicorn in once you catch them. <laughs> you know, that discussion might be an interesting way to pass the time, but it's ultimately pointless because in reality, unicorns don't exist and you're not going to catch one. I hate to break it to you. So anyway, just for fun, let's imagine, though, that the 19th Amendment had never been passed and household voting was still the law of the land. Would you be okay with that, Michelle? For me personally, I would not have any problem with it. But, you know, my husband is a believer. And when mm -hmm. it comes to politics, we're in agreement about 99% of the time. There hasn't been any instance that I can think of uh, in which we disagreed about which candidate to vote for or how to vote on anything else. So for me personally, yeah. if my husband voted for our family, you know, that would just be one less line I'd have to stand in doing my <laughs> my errands and stuff. But you know, I don't think I would like it very much if I were a widow and I couldn't vote or if my husband were not a believer and he was voting for a bunch of pro-abortion pro perverts. You know, I would want the yeah. opportunity to at least be able to cancel out his vote with my own, so to speak. <laughs> um, so what about you, Amy? What would your position be if head of household voting were still the law of the land? Uh, well, well, first, I would just say that I've got a few more votes I need to cancel out. <laughs> um, I, I have many to worry about. But if it was always this way, if the 19th Amendment never happened and we're here in the 21st century knowing what we know now, I guess if a feminist group came along and started advocating for voting, I'd probably not be protesting or jumping on the bandwagon to join them. Um, I, and I think it's because knowing what I know now about what God's word says about being a woman after his own heart and how I am to follow him as a Titus two woman. Uh, you, and you're probably thinking I'm talking about verses two and three, but listen to this verse starting in verse 11. It says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. I love that verse, Michelle. And also, um, as an Ephesians wife, not a Stepford wife, mind <laughs> you, but as one who is to submit to her own husband, as I do to the Lord, I know the great harm, and I know you know this too, Michelle, that feminism does to marriages and to the family unit. And I guess I'd be fine keeping things as is knowing that. But when you throw the phrase in going back to those times before the 19th Amendment, well, that's not something that's even possible. Yeah, that's so true. I, I really appreciate what you said there. I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in Titus right now myself. And it's just yeah. such a great book for, um, for teaching us how to conduct ourselves in, the, in the church and in this world. It's, it's just amazing. And, and yeah. that is so true that, that we need to, um, first be conformed to Christ and then, uh, deal with the world in a godly way. 
Amen. Now, Amy, when we were talking about this topic and show prep, you mentioned to me that you thought that head of household voting would increase voter fraud. And I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts about that. Yeah, if that somehow, uh, and I don't, don't think it ever would be, but if that somehow became the law of the land, I really, I'm not talking about fraud as in stuffing ballot boxes, but in the sense that if there's a way to rig the system, sinful human beings will always find it and flaunt it. Cheating is as natural to the flesh as lying and stealing. So you can just imagine that people will find a way to alter their family status or create new systems to vote twice, maybe if, you know, depending on what they're calling a legal relationship. You know how that goes. Two men in a homosexual household. Well, why not each claim head of household if one moves in with a single woman? Or how about if women say, oh, guess what? I'm trans now. I'm a dude. So there's all sorts of potential for fraud, uh, which even in better scenarios than I just listed, still destroys the family unit. And of course, liberal people vote for leaders and laws that mirror who they are and how they want the world to be. Yeah, I I really don't think the people that you were talking about would even have to go to all that trouble. Can't they just say, right. I identify as a, as a male head of household? They could yeah, just say that exactly. and you have to believe them, you know. So, yeah, I can see that there there could be all kinds of of problems with with a uh, head of household voting system that we probably haven't even thought of yet because <laughs> the the sinful heart is just out to create ways of doing evil and and making problems and things like that. So, yeah, and there would be lots of problems. will be. Yeah, and there <laughs> exactly. would be lots of problems. When you have broken, sinful human beings involved in any kind of system, it, it messes up the system, no matter how perfect the system started out to be. So... Yeah, well, and we certainly are messed up now, but that's another topic for another show. (laughs) Uh, But you know, another interesting issue that has come up regarding head of household voting is this dramatic difference between the way men and women vote. And this is actually where the idea for this episode came from. One of Michelle's Twitter followers shared a graphic showing how the last presidential election would have turned out if only men had voted and compared it to actually how it did turn out out with both men and women voting. And uh, the graphic basically showed that with only men voting, Donald Trump would have won the election versus Joe Biden winning as a result of both men and women voting. And then several other followers provided resources showing that in general, men vote much more conservatively and women vote much more liberally. I thought that was interesting. And uh, based on those outcomes, the question was posed, should women be allowed to vote? Interesting question. So the conversation is out there. Probably nothing will come of it. I'm pretty sure it won't. Um, Personally, I don't engage in those discussions about that question over whether women should be allowed to vote. Uh, We're allowed now, and not much is gained by arguing over what ifs. But I think, you know, of course, we should be allowed to vote. We should vote. And here's my controversial take. I think agreeing with your husband is a good thing. You know, there I go again. Um, I can't imagine being in a marriage, though, where your worldviews are so far apart that you believe in polar opposite moral policies. And I know, listeners, that a few of you are in that boat with your husband right now. It must be very, very hard. But it doesn't make you a feminist if you say, I can't imagine not voting and I will continue to vote for the laws and policies that I think are right for this country or state or local community. What's your take, Michelle? 
Well, I I certainly agree with you. I I vote um, religiously. I guess you could say. Yeah. And, and Me too. Uh, all of the all of the elections I know about. Some of them, you know, they're very minor and they sneak up on you and you don't know about yeah. them until it's too late. But uh, as far as the the um, the issue of women voting differently from men, women tending to vote more liberally than men, and the the way that the previous election mm-hmm. would have turned yeah. out, and and making a decision based on that, I I just think that's very pragmatic and outcome based. I mean, yeah. if women were the ones who voted more conservatively, do you think Christians would be asking the question, should men be allowed to vote? And I just don't <laughs> think that we would be having that discussion. And and there's a reason for that. As Christians, that's not how we make decisions with biblical and spiritual impl- implications. We make those decisions by going to the Bible, finding out what the Bible has to say about the situation and obeying the Bible in that situation. Now, If I could wave a magic wand and make a law that only godly, doctrinally sound men could vote, I'd do it in a heartbeat because (laughs) that would fix the outcomes of these elections. Ungodly people wouldn't be voting for ungodly candidates and laws. So the outcomes of those elections would be godly. And then godly women wouldn't need to take time out of their busy day to go stand in line and wrangle all the kids while trying to make sure that they're (laughs) pushing the right button in the voting booth, you know. So that's the law I would make if I could. Only godly men can vote. And that's about as likely to happen as only men can vote. <laughs> so right. that's what I would do. But putting aside the logistics and practical realities for, for just for the moment, one of the reasons that some theologically conservative Christians wish we had head of household voting, and, and they mean male head of household voting, of course, mm-hmm. is that it seems to be more in harmony with Scripture's instruction about the husband leading the wife and family. As the head of the family, he's responsible for the family's decisions. He takes care of the family. He represents the family. He stands as both the literal and metaphorical protector between the family and the world. And so I would tend to agree with that line of reasoning. It's it's not a sin for women to vote, but in an ideal world, the husband casting the vote for the family just seems to fit better with the flow of the Bible's teaching on the role of the husband. To me, it's kind of like the issue of something like women leading prayer or reading scripture during the Sunday morning worship service. You know, it's not technically a sin, but it just seems to fit better with the flow of the Bible's teaching on the role of women in the church for a godly man to do those things. What do you think about that theological point, Amy, that the the husband casting a vote for the family seems to fit better with the Bible's teaching on the husband as the head of the household? Well, and it's true that, you know, the husband is responsible for leading his family in spiritual matters where he loves his wife and leads her in the gentleness of Ephesians 5.22. And uh, if you're not familiar with that passage, well, you probably are. It says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing of the water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. 
church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I just, that, that passage is fantastic, and we're going through that, uh, that book in church right now. Uh, the Bible doesn't say a woman shouldn't vote or that a man must vote for his family. And I guess that's my thought. I try to align with what scripture says and try to kind of watch for what it doesn't say. Um, now, some Christians do say that even as things stand today with women having the right to vote, that they should forego that right and not vote. They should act as if we do have the head of household voting and let their husbands vote represent them. And I've, I've seen that before in, in some uh, conservative circles. And you know, we are free to do that. If you feel that's the way you want to honor the Lord, by all means, you know, you and your husband can make that decision for yourselves. But I highly recommend not trying to force that decision on other Christians, as that would be crossing the line into legalism by making your opinion the law where God has not done that. What do you think, Michelle? Well, I certainly agree with you, especially on that last point. I, I would even go a little farther and say, not that I recommend that you not force your decision about that on other Christians, <laughs> yeah. but that you cannot, you cannot biblically do that or you will, right. you will be participating in legalism. And, and, you know, to be completely honest, um, not that I'm not always completely honest, but <laughs> in with people that I have talked to of this opinion, none of them have ever been trying to force their opinions right. about this on other people. They've just been sort of exploring the idea and thinking about it and saying, what do you think about this? And here's what I think. But I I would say it's an issue of conscience. Um, refraining yes. from voting is not a sin. So if voting would bother your conscience, you shouldn't sin against your conscience. Now, that being said, when you make a decision, any decision based on conscience, you have a responsibility to first biblically and factually inform your conscience so you're not basing your decisions on ignorance. Let me give you an example. For Christians, drinking alcohol in moderation is an issue of conscience. There are Christians who say that drinking is against their conscience because, quote, the Bible says alcohol is sinful. Well, the Bible says nothing of the sort. The Bible says that drunkenness is sinful, not alcohol itself. So they need to inform their consciences biblically, you know, according to what the Bible actually says. Now, if you said drinking was against your conscience because taking a drink would cause all the food to disappear from your house and your children would starve, that's not reality. That would be a case where you need to inform your conscience factually. And it's the same way with this this issue. I'm, I'm sure that most people who think Christian women shouldn't vote probably know that the Bible doesn't say that voting itself is intrinsically sinful. So to that extent, on that particular aspect of it, their consciences are informed biblically. But your conscience also needs to be informed factually about this. And the fact is that your husband's vote doesn't represent your family, even if you want it to, because that's not the system we have. We don't have a head of household system. We have a one person, one vote system. In reality, your husband's vote represents him as an individual. If you don't vote, nobody's representing you. So I would encourage you, if you're thinking of not voting because you wish your husband's vote represented you, I would encourage you to try this line of thinking on instead and see how it fits. So think of that this way. When you and your husband are on the same page and you're both voting biblically for the most godly laws and candidates you can, 
you're helping and supporting your husband in his quest to change your city, state and country into a more godly place to live. Think of it this way. It's the 1800s and you're living out there on the homestead. And one day you go to the window and you pull back your calico curtains and you look out and you see a prairie fire heading your way. Do you send your husband out to represent you in fighting the fire while you sit in the house and pray for him to have wisdom to do it right? Or do you grab a bucket (laughs) and start pumping water into it so you can help him? The way that our voting system is in reality right now, that's what godly voting is. You're helping your husband to fight the fire of ungodliness in the world. That is a great way of looking at it, Michelle. I agree with you. And I think it's so important that you said you and your husband are on the same page and you're both voting for the most godly laws and candidates that you can. And that's really how it should be in any Christian marriage, because the two of you have become one in Christ because you hold the same Christian values. Um, you mentioned earlier that 99% of the time you and your husband are in agreement about the things that you vote on. Well, it's that same way for Bob and for me too, probably 100%. I can't think of anything that I disagree with him on. And when it comes time to vote, we actually rely on each other to track (laughs) down uh, the records and beliefs of each of the candidates. And I'm talking about, you know, the positions like city and county candidates, school board members, and some of those state candidates that you might not have uh, heard of before. They just appear on your ballots like, who is this person? So I think everyone knows who their high level leaders are nationally and where they stand. But we always try to find, you know, have those conversations, find the time uh, before elections to talk about what we've learned about the candidates so that we can come together and we can both make the best decision when we cast our ballots. And I don't think that our choices are a private matter either. It's like, oh, it's none of your business. No, no, no. You should talk about whom you are voting for and why. Uh, I, I believe that there should be no secrets like that in a marriage. Now, one thing that you don't want to do for sure is lie to him and tell him, you know, something he wants to hear. Oh, I'm going to vote, you know, the way that you think uh, that I should vote. And then you go out in the voting booth and uh, once that curtain is closed, you vote a different way. You know, he may never find out the truth, but God sees you doing that. And that is a sin. Yeah, that's so true, Amy. And it really is, you know, if you think about it, it's, it's, this is an issue in marriage. This is an issue where you, you need oneness and you need agreement. I was, I was just thinking while you were talking about, you know, you and your husband, uh, my, my husband and I have this, the same thing. We look up candidates for each other, you know, Hey, who's, who's running for this office and what's going on with that, that issue or whatever. And we try to help each other because it's a lot of work. We're voting on a lot. Like I said before, we're voting on a lot of stuff. We got to find out about. a lot of stuff we've we've got a uh, i was telling you earlier amy we've got a school board uh election that's coming up pretty soon here and and you know my my husband has uh there have been two major candidates that have been uh running are running for this office and and my husband is really into it and he's he's gone and heard to a forum and heard both of them speak and and he's you know gone back and forth about which one he's going to vote for and of course my whole attitude about it is you know we need to burn the public school system down and not even have it anymore so so my yeah exactly so literally ladies no not literally we would never advocate anything like that please don't (laughs) sue us or do anything crazy or anything but anyway um 
you know, he has he has gone and gotten informed on that. And my perspective on it has just been like, I don't care because I don't believe in the public school system anyway. So just go find out who we should vote for and tell me and that's who I'll vote for. So yeah. we're kind of doing it that way on that on that um that particular election. But, you know, I, I so agree with the things that you were saying. And, and I would only add that, you know, ladies, if you and your husband both claim to be Christians and you have seriously divergent views or disagreements on candidates and issues, that can be indicative of, of, of a spiritual problem on either your part or his part or both. I mean, if if you want to vote for a candidate who's in favor of torturing babies to death in the womb and your husband wants you to vote for a candidate who says he'll protect babies' lives, your beliefs about the sanctity of life are at odds with the Bible and you need to repent or vice yeah. versa if it's your husband with the unbiblical beliefs. Yeah. And and you know what, uh, Michelle, too, when, when we're looking at candidates, uh, oftentimes I, I do the uh, work of looking at the social media accounts and the message boards, because, you know, sometimes with school board members, you don't, you can't tell by their platforms and their official right. pages, who in the world, you know, where do they stand on, you know, uh, wokeness in the schools or that kind of thing. Right. So um, oftentimes, you'll get some kind soul who knows, <laughs> and, yeah. and will say so and say, well, this person, you know, uh, believes in CRT or that kind of thing. So right. uh, my husband isn't on social media, so um, I'll let him know if I find something like that. So, um, But, you know, I think some of our listeners who are married to unbelievers might be wondering if they should submit to a husband who wants them to vote for ungodly laws or candidates. And that certainly can happen. For example, uh, voting for a pro-abortion candidate or voting for a law that makes same-sex marriage legal or anything like that. No, you should not submit because in that case, your husband is asking you to vote for and give your approval to something that is sinful. And that's one of those um, Acts 529 situations. We must obey God rather than men. But like I said before, you shouldn't lie to him agreeing to vote the way he wants you to and then voting differently once you get into the voting booth. Kindly explain to him that you can't in good conscience vote for that candidate or law according to scripture and tell them that you can either vote for the godly option or you can stay home and not vote. You're still submitting. Um, let them know you'll graciously abide by whatever he decides. That way you will be submitting to him, but in a way that does not cause you to sin against your conscience. Yeah, I agree, Amy. I, I think that sounds like probably the wisest thing to do in that kind of a situation. Yeah. Well, listeners, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode and that we've given you some things to think about and pray about as Election Day approaches. The Bible doesn't prohibit women from voting, but it doesn't compel you to vote either. So if you do choose to vote, please study up on the issues and candidates and vote in the most godly and biblical way possible. Now, as we close things out, we want to say a big thank you to our new patron, Susan. Thank you so much for being a monthly donor over at Patreon. Thank you. Yay. Thank you, Susan. And if you'd like to help us uh, defray podcasting costs like Susan, just head on over to awardfitlyspoken.life and click on the support tab. 
Also, we haven't reminded y'all of this in quite a while, but we want to let you know that if you have any sort of disability or difficulty that makes it easier for you to read our episodes rather than listen, we have two ways that you can do that. First of all, for most of our episodes, you can go to the show notes and click on the transcript link. Most of our episodes are scripted, and that link will take you to the script for that episode. And then secondly, Amy puts the audio for all of our episodes on YouTube, and those are all auto-captioned. So whether you read or listen, thank you so much for making a Word Fitly Spoken part of your podcast library. Yes, and until next time, if you vote, vote godly and walk worthy.